Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Simply Bitcoin IRL. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Bob Burnett. He is the CEO of Barefoot Mining and I believe an investor in Ocean, which we're going to talk about as well. Uh, they threw this amazing event uh, a couple weeks ago, a month ago. I had the privilege to be able to attend. So I'm really excited to talk to Bob about that. But before we start the show, I do want to give a shout out to the Bitcoin company that makes this show possible. Of course, I'm talking about Swan Bitcoin. Swan Bitcoin is the best place to build your Bitcoin stack. It's being built by a very, very passionate group of Bitcoiners. So it's built by Bitcoiners. It's for Bitcoiners. Check out Swan. It, I highly recommend it. That's where I build my Bitcoin stack. Check out swanbitcoin.com today. All right, let me bring up uh, Bob. Uh, we've crossed paths over these last couple weeks many, many times. Uh, and uh, I'm so happy to have you at my wedding, um, you and, and and your wife, who I I, I, I don't know why I didn't, didn't know this, but your wife is also a Bitcoin star uh, for anyone who uh, knows anything <laughs> about the Bitcoin trading cards. Uh, so how you doing, man? How's life? I'm doing great. Uh, Lola and I were honored and, and so happy to be at, at your and Sophie's wedding. It was a it was a real treat. We're so happy for you guys. So, um, you know, that first and foremost, that's the most important thing, right? The, it, there are very few things bigger than Bitcoin, but one of them is family. So family and friends, you know, that uh, that comes first. Bitcoin comes second. So. A hundred percent. Well, no, the honor was truly ours. Uh, we really, really appreciate uh, you guys coming. Um, so, okay, Bob, there, there's been so many incredible presentations that I've had the privilege to be able to see and attend. One of them was at the Ocean event, uh, and that's really when you exposed my, when you exposed me, you did this incredible presentation. The first time, the way that you broke it down, and the way you broke it down is that there's really three types of miners, right? There's three subsects. There's the the hares, is there the rabbits? There's the horses, the wild horses and the captured horses. And then there are the elephants. And it was such an interesting way of just kind of describing the mining space. So for anyone who hasn't seen that presentation, anyone who hasn't, you know, is, isn't familiar with those categories and those terms, could you explain to everybody what rabbits are, what horses are and what elephants are? Sure. You know, the <clears throat> the genesis of of coming up with that was <clears throat> as Barefoot was kind of getting started, we were evolving. There was a point where we had to decide what we wanted to be. And most of the mining industry is geared toward being big and trying to get big quickly. And as I looked at that, I had some concerns. They're, 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 they're best exemplified in an article I did called Satoshi's Heel, which um, is in Bitcoin Magazine. But the concept of elephant is very classic, right? You, you read press releases frequently about company X or company Y, they're building 100 megawatts here or 300 megawatts there. Um, these sites, they're big and powerful, right? I mean, that's what an elephant is. An elephant is a big and powerful beast. 
but they take a long time to grow, right? An elephant doesn't grow overnight. So there's a long lead time. Um, if, if you look at it as a business person, you can say, hey, from the moment you start deploying capital to the moment that you start mining, there's a big gap. And there's a lot of things in the Bitcoin world that can change because these sites might take 15 months to develop. The other thing about elephants is they're very easy to find meaning they're very easy to hunt. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about the Elizabeth Warren, um, uh, the, the Digital Asset Anti-Money Laundering Act and the attacks coming. But, but I think it is a lot easier to attack an elephant and to hunt them. And because there are fewer of them, the ability to hunt them into extinction is probably higher. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, we have the rabbits. The rabbits are, they could think of them as the individual miners, the home miners. <clears throat> They're the plebs out there individually. They may have an S-17 in their garage or a couple S-19s out in a shed. Um, individually, they're not very important, but collectively, they are very important. At least they could be, right? So if you think about one rabbit in a farmer's field, no big deal, right? A, a whole bunch of rabbits in a farmer's field, that's a big problem, at least for the farmer, right? And the other thing about rabbits, though, is if you start hunting rabbits, they can, they can scatter and hide very quickly. So if, you, if a farmer has 300 rabbits in a field and he goes and shoots one, the other 299 are going to um, hide real quickly. And so they, they're there on the other end of the spectrum. The horses sit in the middle. The horses are the small to medium-sized commercial operations. They might be um, in kilowatts, like a couple hundred kilowatts to a few megawatts. You might see them being a dozen servers to several hundred servers, but they're kind of in that spot. Done properly, they're scattered all over the place. They're also very hard to find. They're also typically built in a mobile fashion. So unlike the elephants, if, if, if somebody starts hunting wild horses, they can go and hide pretty quickly. Um, that, by the way, is what Barefoot decided to do. We said, hey, we, we want to develop horse class sites. That doesn't mean we don't want to have a lot of sites and a lot of hash power. It just means we want to have a lot of sites. We'd rather, one of the things I've said is, hey, <clears throat> if you said, Bob, you can have one 100 megawatt site or you could have 52 megawatt sites, I'll take the 52 megawatt sites. Now, a lot of my compatriots at some of the bigger companies would say that's insanity. But um, I, I believe wholeheartedly that when you factor in all the risk variables and the ROIs, that it's the better, um, it's the better path. Now, each of those site sizes can either be captive or wild. And I was telling Nico earlier, when I first started this, I was thinking about energy, but I realized later on as it was developing that it's not just about energy. So, so if we think of a captive site, what I mean by a captive site or a captive company is one that gets its energy from somebody else. It requires the permission of a third party to exist. Um, by the way, a very un-Bitcoin thing, like or a, a, Bitcoin, a very unlike Bitcoin thing, it means that you're not self-sovereign. 
right? So you, you, if you're a captive elephant, you have this massive site that is essentially useless if somebody else decides to not grant you permission for the energy. And you can have all the contracts you want um, and all the, the affirmations, but really it just takes Elizabeth Warren getting one bill through and you're, you're cooked. Um, uh, the Biden energy t tax on mining that was attempted last spring, it just takes one of those to get through. But captive means other things too. Captive can mean regulatory capture where you have auditors and regulators that oversee what you do and have to approve changes in your company. Um, you know, those are, those are also sub substantive risks. So wild mining means, hey, you, you control the energy source. You're the one generating the energy. And short of somebody pointing a gun at your head and saying, turn it off, they can't be done. And by the way, they have to find you to begin with, right? So, um, but it also means being free from as much as possible from the regulators and the auditors. So at Barefoot, we choose to be free. We, we as much as possible, we do wild mining. We do have some captive, but we love wild mining and we love doing it in this horse class site to kind of stay under the radar. And, and I was, I was very fortunate enough to be able to visit one of these sites and it was absolutely incredible. Um, it was an old, it was a, it was a, an old factory, right? That you guys converted, you put a turbine in there. Um, in my memory, I'm, I'm totally going to say the story cause I, it makes me giddy. Uh, I had, it was Bob, Jimmy song and Jack Dorsey. And you guys are all looking to the turbine and I'm just like, looking at you guys and looking at the room like where this is incredible where am i this is this is so cool um but could you describe the site uh bob to everyone because i think they would really appreciate you know it, it's like yes this is a, a wild horse site but what it, what does that mean so could you describe this site um why is it special um the fact that it's completely it's not connected to the grid um yeah yeah well, I'm, first of all, I'm glad you enjoyed that. And, you know, that was a treat to be able to, um, I'll explain kind of how this system works um, to everybody. But, you know, it was it was a it was a lot of fun to be able to, you know, I actually took Jack to the to the, you know, the top of the the whole system and walked him through and explained it to him. And then, as you said, we got to the bottom where the turbine was actually spinning in the generator and to be able to, you know, witness it and feel it with with Jack and Jimmy was was pretty special for me too. So the the story behind this site was several years ago, I guess it was three years ago now, um, I was looking for wild energy, like what could I do? How can I how can I implement this? And through a friend of a friend, I found out about this site in South Carolina, which was a textile mill that had been built in 1888. And the, the textile mill uh, had not worked for 20 plus years. I think it was in the year 2000 or 2001, it had shut down. What was unique about the textile mill, though, was, you know, back in that time frame, if you go back 120 years or so, what you'll find was, well, there was no electrical grid, right? If you wanted electricity or you wanted power, actually started pre-electricity. They first used this system to drive like looms. It was a textile mill. 
So uh, weaving fabric using the, the, the power of a river. Um, and then in the early 1900s, it got converted to electricity. Well, it, it, it hadn't worked for a long time. It was in great disrepair. However, the dam was still working properly. Um, and some of the guts were still working properly. So it, it took some, uh, some vision, it took some money, and it took some blood, sweat, and tears. But what we did was um, we rehabilitated that whole infrastructure from what's called the head of the dam, which is kind of up where the water is, right at the top of the dam, down into the powerhouse, which is where the generators and the turbines are. And uh, we rebuilt that whole infrastructure and then we had an interesting choice, and it kind of really goes into this philosophical thing that I've talked about a little bit too, which is we had the choice that if the facility was producing extra energy, we could tie back into the grid and sell that energy back. We made the choice to cut that cord, though. It actually existed, and we cut it because we wanted to be wild. We wanted to be free, and we didn't want to give any regulatory authority the possibility of saying you have to redirect your energy you know because we're in it to mine bitcoin and and so we're probably at certain times forgoing a little bit of revenue by not selling the energy back to the grid but we think that the independence that we gain is a lot more important gotcha no and and i and i agree and let's and this is perfect. This is a great time to talk about this, right? Um, let's talk about essentially the regulatory hostility that has mm. been really, really manifesting itself um, as you know we get closer to this, you know, this spot ATF um, and the series of events. And Bob, we we because we do like a daily news show, we cover these things and we start and we've been seeing this from a mile away. Just just the the strategic moves that, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren and co have been making first, the wall street journal article that led to the FinCEN, not to mention operation choke point 2.0. That's been happening, you know, earlier on the year, Caitlin Long's bank was denied, uh, a week after they announced the American version of the central bank, digital currency, the fed now. So lots of coincidences to say the least, not yeah, to mention, go ahead. Oh, I just say amazing coincidences, aren't they? <laughs> Such coincidences, not to mention all the reports coming out of the Treasury, coming out of the White House. Uh, in the presidential economic report this year, they, they dedicated 20 entire pages as to making the case why a central bank digital currency is necessary, why you need a state for money, and why Bitcoin is a bad idea, right? And why central banking is actually a good thing. So the writing's been on the wall but it really wasn't until the Wall Street Journal article dropped and they were caught red-handed, um, essentially lying. Like the data was manipulated, but you can tell that it was a strategic move. If not, I would describe it a surgical move because she just went on a media blitz after that. And Bob, I swear to God, I remember I we were we were streaming uh, the DOJ press conference of Binance, right? Okay. And this is when I knew. They mentioned the word terrorism 25 times. And I remember, and Opti was like listening in, and we were streaming the swan spaces. 
And my voice broke and I said, they're going to try to ban self-custody in the United States of America. I saw the writing on the wall. And then a week later is when you see uh, Jamie Dimon testifying in front of Congress. Uh, That's when you see Elizabeth Warren, uh, you know, gathering more and more support for this bill. She has up to 20 senators now. So when you talk about that regulatory risk, uh, it's real and it's coming and it's going to intensify because it, I think people don't understand what the significance is if Bitcoin succeeds. This is the separation of money and state after all. How did you know that? How did you know that uh, like from miles away? How did you know that even if you create jobs, even if you check all the boxes, even if you support the right politicians, how did you know like on a fundamental level that they're just not going to be okay with this. And of course, it's not all of them, but they're not just going to be okay with this thing. How did you know that? Well, there's there's two reasons. The first reason is that you mentioned it. We threaten the wealth infrastructure of the world and the power infrastructure of the world. And they won't go lightly. So that's the first reason. But the second, um, I talked about this a little bit in uh, in South Carolina at the event and also at Unconfiscatable, but one of the things I try to do is look at everything through really long-term lenses. So I, I look at Bitcoin uh, from the lens that we want to build a monetary system that will last for a thousand years. And so if what you do is you you then look at, like I look at my company and I look at what I'm trying to do is I have to build something that will resist the threats over a thousand years. Well, over a thousand year window, it's very easy to see that these threats will come. It was it would be impossible for me to say, well, the, that I knew that Elizabeth Warren was gonna do this in December of 2023, but I did know with essentially 100% probability over an extended period of time, this would come. So I think that's the big thing. I, you know, Bitcoiners, um, <clears throat> I, I don't mean to um, diminish the importance of some of the things that maybe are happening, happening positively. I mean, we have the having, we have hopefully well, hopefully I shouldn't say, you know, who, who knows? I'm not sure. But, you know, we have the ETF coming. We have these sort of things coming. But they're, <laughs> those are really short-term things. <clears throat> I think what we have to do is, you know, think about where we're going in the long run. We have to build that immunity. So, you know, I, as an older guy, um, I, I've, I know I won't live to the end of Bitcoin. I, but, but what I do want to build is, to the best of my ability at a personal level, a world that that has Bitcoin that allows my kids and my grandkids a chance at a free and fair society. And without sound money, we don't have that, right? And and not only sound money, but a monetary system that is free and uncensored, right? I mean, those things have to go together. I think we forget that sometimes we talk about, you know, Bitcoin is not only money, sound money, but it is a monetary system. And we have to maintain the purity of all those things. But, you know, at the end of the day, the reason I had this was was because I look at the long term. I don't and I don't trust any of those people, by the way, either. 
Yeah, no, and, and no, and, and it, it, the, it's an interesting, it's, it, you, you're, even, you're looking on an, a, th- a thousand year time scale. Um, and th- this is where the conversation about the rabbits and the horses and the elephants becomes very, very interesting because if you look at it, if you zoom out from that perspective, uh, the elephants are all going to be captured or dead. Um, and you know, some of the horses are going to be casualties as well. The rabbits are always going to do what rabbits do, but, um, it's clear to me that the future of Bitcoin mining is wild horses. Right. And, and another thing that gets me extremely excited, uh, Bob and, you know, tarantula is really pushing this forward is, you know, and this is, this is all over the world. This isn't just happening in the U S right. Where, you know, you go to these, like in the middle of nowhere oil fields right or or gas you know gas fields and they just have all this bent up stranded energy it's way too far away from anything for it to be economic until bitcoin um and that's just ready it's just waiting for it to be tapped um i see that as a as an industry that hasn't even begun yet am i wrong to say that no you're you're nuts on and and it's critical. Um, I again refer to the article I wrote, Satoshi's Heel, which illustrates an unlikely circumstance um, where the world becomes all captive elephants and then the existential risk that comes from that and the mathematics behind that. But we can 100% prevent it simply by having some balance in the ecosystem, right? So if you think of Bitcoin as a living, breathing thing, and you know, kind of the, especially the mining infrastructure as something that must follow that. Well, you can't have a in the real world. You can't have all elephants, right? I mean, you have to have predators and prey and a, and a whole chain of of uh, hierarchy in in those animals and the same things. And you know, like they always say, like you know, if if um, the nuclear bomb comes and blows everything up, you know, what lives? It's probably the rats and the cockroaches, right? So um, the rabbits are kind of like that. And and I said, that, I say that in the most respectful manner, right? Like you gotta, you gotta preserve them because if, if, if you didn't, then life would cease to exist. Um, so uh, actually I kind of lost my train of thought there, Nico, where, where were we going? We were we were going. I don't know. I'm just so fascinated about the conversation. But essentially, we were talking about uh, this idea that um, that the future is wild horses. That, that I was I was I was theorizing that, well, and I was talking about tarantula oh, right. and the oil fields and all that. Yeah. yeah. So first is there's this massive amount of energy spread all over the world, as you've illustrated, and it's stranded gas. It's hydro. Um, it's biomass, by the way, that's another big one. Um, uh, whether that's, uh, waste sites or, or human excrement or pig farms or, you know, whatever, but there's a whole bunch of energy out there that can't practically ever be utilized on a, on a large scale. There's no way to economically ever tie that into the grid, but obviously we provide a solution to utilize that energy and it not only makes use of that energy but it but it doubles as building out this wild infrastructure so as i said in my mathematics we 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 really need a minimum of 15 percent of the infrastructure 
as wild, but 30 would be way better. And there's a vector right now toward the big elephants, right? The, toward the captive elephants that's not healthy. And we're a long way from hitting these numbers, but it can creep up pretty quickly, right? It, it, you know, we could, if, if we lose five or 10% a year, um, I think most people probably understand the power of compounding. Well, that can get away from you very quickly. Um, so, you know, that's that's my fear. That's what we have to build out. But there's phenomenal opportunity. You know, I can say for, for us at Barefoot, in 2023, we expanded a lot. To be honest, we did a fair amount of it on grid. We had some very easy opportunities. So those are those are captured from a grid standpoint, but we build them out. But 2024 for us is going to be the year of, of wild site development. So we've oh, yeah. got several, several additional sites that we're, we're working on. By the way, it's hard. I mean, that the, the, they don't all make it to the finish line. Like there's a lot of stuff that goes wrong. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll probably start four to eight of them and maybe, 50% of them get to the finish line next oh, year. Oh, wow. I, why, why such a, like, what is it? Is it because, like, why is the well, number? Go ahead. Well, because, well, when it's hard. I mean, that, like, mm. <clears throat> some of it's it's deals. Like, I'll, I'll talk stranded gas for a minute. Okay. There, so there's flared gas and stranded gas. Like, what, what, what Tranchel is doing with, you know, he does a lot of flared gas stuff. Um, Wonderful stuff, right? I, I applaud him. Um, let's say stranded gas, though. Let's say, like, we've done a lot of looking in the Marcellus Basin. The Marcellus Basin is a massive natural gas deposit, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and parts of Ohio. Okay, so there's this massive piece up there. Um, we're exploring several deals in that area right now. But what what this is what they constitute. We find somebody who has land that sits on top of the natural gas deposit. Ideally, they already have a well drilled, and a lot of people have done that. However, they may be 20, 30, 50 miles away from a pipeline. So that piece of never being economically able to, to, to withdraw that gas from the ground and get it to an endpoint is very real. Right. Because to get to a pipeline, it may cost like a million dollars a mile in piping and infrastructure. Wow. And they may have to go through 20 or 50 landowners getting mm -hmm. permission. Right. So it's just, it's never going to happen. Right. So then we come in and we say, hey, let us let's cut a deal. Right. So. Um the deal can work one of two ways. The deal can be, well, um, do you guys want to own part of the entity that we're developing? But most of these are not Bitcoiners, right? You know, so they say, no, I want you to pay me for the gas. Okay. But we don't want to pay market rate for the gas, right? Because it, it, it's stranded and we're trying to hit a, a price point. So then in most of these deals, and I, I've learned more about this than I ever wanted to know, but I'm still not an expert by any means. It turns out that when you pull gas out of the ground, even though you, like this landowner that we're dealing with, he has to share that money with a whole bunch of other people 
who essentially his neighbors he has to share the money with. Really? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. So because you know what you're if you think about it, so you yeah. think about this big bubble of gas underneath, right? So if if one guy sits there and pulls all the gas out of the ground mm-hmm. and these other guys never get any, it's not fair to them. So if so the, the where these things fall apart is usually not the ability to technically implement. So it's usually in the deal making stage and something goes wrong and it turns out that you, so you have to share. So there's, there's um, the rights to the gas that's shared. And then sometimes there's a different person who has what's called the surface rights. So then you have to have a, a lease with them to, to do all that sort of stuff. And then you have to, you do have to get like, it depends on where you are and what you're doing, but you may have to get an EPA or a state regulator to approve that um, you're you're not doing it in a way that creates an ecological problem. Obviously, we don't like that if we can get away with it because we'd rather them not know we're there. But it depends on <laughs> where we are. So, so anyway, those are those are some of the, the the reasons why they don't all make it to the finish line. Gotcha. So it's essentially it's the human element. Um, the yeah. human element that uh, sometimes is is not as dependable, so to speak. So, okay, so you find this site, right? You find this site, what is it? And then let's say, you know, everyone is happy, you got the deal signed, what is the next step, right? Like, how do you build this, uh, you know, this, this sweet, sweet Satoshi generator in the middle of nowhere from scratch? Well, in this case, like if we take the case of stranded gas, if we if we have a site that has an existing well, it's often capped. Um, the and, and so we we sign some sort of uh, uh, letter of intent or or a memorandum of understanding, an MOU, one of these sort of documents. So, okay, well we're locked in. Now what we'll do is we'll quickly put together a budget, a capital budget, and a pro forma. Like how 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 much will will it take to operate this site on a monthly basis, um, based on the capital we deploy? What you know? What machines are we picking? Are we picking S twenty ones or S nineteen Ks or S nineteen XPs or M thirties or whatever it is we pick? Right, we got to pay for those. Um, we've built a fairly sophisticated model to try to predict Bitcoin output over an extended period. Um, like all models, it. It's not perfect, um, but it's pretty good because we, you know, we have to forecast global hash rate. We have to forecast the price of Bitcoin. All these sort of things have a have a material impact on what we're doing. And of course, fees now are becoming a huge piece of that modeling. Modeling fees in and the minor revenue thing is becoming wild. So um, then, what we typically do, un- unless we have the funds available at the time to do it all ourselves, which is we've we've done a lot of these. So we've got our money kind of spread out right now. Um, we typically go and we start raising money and uh, we'll bring in a group of investors. It's usually a group of three to eight people or organizations that fund it. And then because we're a horse class site, we're usually trying to target like on a wild site, we're trying to target maybe a four or five month maximum from the time the investment comes in to the time that we're producing. 
and you know we we love the six to eight week ones which if all the stars align you know sometimes mm -hmm. that will happen we did a couple this year and and under a month but they were on grid which is a little less complicated but we did we did them as fast as horse class sites and as fast as four weeks this year that's incredible so the name is so fitting you, you yeah. the name barefoot but like yes i love it it's so <laughs> cool so bob you've said in the past um also fascinating when you talk about this that bitcoin block space uh will be the most precious real estate in the world what do you mean by that yeah um i think people are starting to 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 see some physical signs of what i've what i've been trying to yeah absolutely but <laughs> Um, so first of all, if, if I can hat tip to Satoshi one more time, you can't do that enough, right? Satoshi obviously created Bitcoin and he created this concept of absolute scarcity, which in reality had never existed before. And I think the community largely thinks about it as the 21 million Bitcoin, but there is a second absolute scarcity that he created and that's block space. Now, in one perspective, you can say, well, isn't block space infinite? Every 10 minutes, there's more. Yes. However, it is, it is not reusable, right? So once block space is created, it gets used one time and it, that's it. it and, and the, so if you give me any period of time, you say, Hey, Bob, how much, how much block space is available in the next week or the next month or the next 10 years? I can tell you with almost exact certainty exactly how much block space there is. You know, we know that um, roughly it's actually just under 10 minutes is the mean block time of the network, about nine minutes and 49 seconds in the last year. And we know that the block size is 4 million weight units. We know that on average right now, about 3,000 transactions are, are um, in the 4 million weight units of the block space. And, and so we can extrapolate and say, hey, there's about 53,000 blocks per year. And, and by the way, that number, the tolerance on that number is probably a couple hundred either way. That's it, right? 53,000. We know that there's 3,000 transactions per block. Do the math. That's about 150 million transactions per year. Access to that, those 150 million um, transactions is shared by the 8 billion people of the world and the 330 million companies of the world. Now, that math alone should, should tell you that we're headed toward an absolute collision, right, of scarcity, because there's very little that can be done to increase that 150 million. You know, now there's some there's some things like I could say, well, if I owe money to two people instead of doing two transactions, I'm only going to do one. I, right now, I might get sloppy with it. Um, I think there will be some things. Um, I had I had a little uh, Twitter exchange with Rockstar recently about that and. You know, there's some faith that the the coders of the world will figure out some ways to make transactions more compact and all that. But but let's just say even they go nuts and they figure out how to get us to 500 million transactions on an annual basis. And by the way, that's probably a long way off getting to that point. 
If there's 8 billion people in the world and 10% of them start living in a Bitcoin world, even, even 5% of them, actually, that's a better number. Let's say 5% of 8 billion people is 400 million people. What does that mean? That means there's an opportunity for each individual of the world to do one base layer interaction per year. That's it. Now, what about the 330 million companies, though? <laughs> so so um, you, if you see 5% of them on that standard, companies are not going to do one Bitcoin transaction per year. They're going to do a whole multiple. So we have this scarcity situation playing out. If you, if you think about scarcity, it's, it's a greatly misunderstood phenomenon um, because it typically has never truly existed. Anything that is in demand has almost always had an ability for the supply side to respond. We talk about that with Bitcoin you know, frequently, but this is true in block space too. There really is no way for the block space to respond to an increase in demand. So I give this example that I think may help people a little bit. Imagine there's an apple tree that produces 100 apples per day, every day. And there is demand for 95 apples every day at some point in time. Okay. Well, the apples from the apple grower are probably really, really cheap, right? He's throwing five apples away a day. The moment 101 people want apples, the price of apples will start to skyrocket. It doesn't, so in other words, simply the addition of six apples of demand takes it from almost free to now being something that is seeing the price go up. As soon as you have 150 or 200 people wanting apples every day, it's stratospheric. So what does that mean? It means that scarcity is a nonlinear function. It, 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 it means there's exponential explosion in the price of that commodity as soon as demand cannot be met by supply. I believe for the last year, I use that 95 Apple thing very specifically. What we've sat on is a situation where a normal day over the last year has been around 95 apples, but we've seen spikes where we taste 101 apples of demand. We were kind of just going through one right now. We had one in the spring. We had another one, I think it was in the late summer where, you know, boom. And, and so what happened? Fees didn't go up, uh, you know, 50% fees went up like 20 times, a hundred times. And that's that scarcity in action. And by the way, guys, I mean, we're still at a point with what, well under 1% adoption. So um, that that block space in, and by the way, I believe in 2024, we will see instead of kind of these peaks and valleys, we're just going to hit a steady state where it's expensive and then it'll just keep getting more expensive from, from there forward. I don't really see relief. Yeah. And I, you know, and a lot of people, they feel certain ways about this. And the reason that they feel certain ways about this is 
first of all, um, the second layer solutions, you know, <laughs> I'm me and Opti just went through this personally where we're trying to essentially set up like a lightning backend for, you know, for the Simply Bitcoin store and, you know, I have a start nine and the whole infrastructure, whatever. And I'm a media guy. And I have two jobs. I have to work for Swan. I have to work for Simply. I do not have time. Like, I can figure it out. I can go to my buddy Ben's channel and like, okay, I'm going to set up a lightning wallet, right? We're yeah. completely sovereign and I'm going to, you know, it's self-custodial, it's self custodial, all that stuff. But I just don't, like, I don't have time for it. And I remember I was telling Opti and our CEO, um, uh, Winekiss, and I was like, lightning, it, and I, I'm going to get murdered, but I'm going to say it anyways. Lightning sucks right now. It's not easy to use for the average everyday person. That's not to say I can't figure it out. It's just it is not a turnkey solution right now. So what are your thoughts on second layers? Because in my opinion, uh, I think they need a lot of work. Uh, you know, and, and I know Wallet of Satoshi did a great job for a long time, but then they got freaked out with that DOJ press conference, right? I know. Um, so what are your thoughts on second layer solutions uh, the, it, from the case that you're making? And I completely agree with you. Uh, I might add, um, they're necessary, but what are your thoughts on them? Well, they are absolutely necessary. Bitcoin doesn't work without them. Um, wallet of Satoshi was a big loss for those of us in the U S I obviously still have it on my phone, but. Um, I loved it. I used it a lot. Um, as an individual, I think that works. Obviously, at a commercial level, if you're trying to set up a company store or something, um, that that you know you're going to need you're going to need some something more robust. But I see a massive amount of activity. I agree with you that we're not there yet. I am a little worried about a disjoint here, like how how fast, because if, if my prediction is right, let's say that, you know, by the end of next year, base layer interactions are, are really expensive. I mean, they're always going to be available, but but you're going to have to pay for it. And we can come back to that a little bit and, and you know, what does the subsidy mean? But, but whether it's Lightning, Fetty, Liquid, um, we, we probably need several of these going. Um, we need a massive amount of attention. I, uh, I, you know, I said this, if I was a young person, I, I had some skills in coding or business development or something like that. I would jump on lightning like crazy. You know, if, if somebody's out there looking for a place to find their way in the world, um, you know, jump in there's there's so much opportunity there but i am worried i am worried a little bit about that disjoint because i think it could it could create it won't stop bitcoin in the long run but it could make this next wave of adoption uh restricted that we we scare some people off because that piece isn't ready yet and then they look at the fees, you know, and, and I think we also have to change some of the, this is where it gets hard, right? Um, this is maybe where I get, where, where I get, I get slammed. Um, Nico, you, you said you get slammed. I, it's going to be really difficult to say, not your keys, not your Bitcoin to everybody. Now, I'm not saying everybody to go buy, 
to go buy the BlackRock ETF, but um, you know we're going to have to find trusted second layer solutions for people and custodial because if you go back to that example, five percent of the world being on Bitcoin is four hundred million people. That is over two x the current capacity of the network, meaning that at the current, if we had five percent of the world adopting Bitcoin. At the current level, then once every two years, each person could do one base layer interaction. So that's not going to work, obviously, right? So something has to give at the second layer. Those people that are looking at Bitcoin as more store of value that may be finding some sort of trusted custodial solution. I know that's somewhat sacrilegious, but I don't know. I don't have another answer. Um, that may be with a swan or somebody like that. I'm a, a full disclosure. I am a swan investor as well. So, um, but, but, uh, you know, hopefully there will be others, um, not necessarily traditional exchanges, but others that we can trust with at least some of our stack. Um, but at the end of the day, you've pointed out, yeah, a concern. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not only, so it's, it's not, so you, you, like you can say it's hypothetical. You can make that argument. It's something that I've experienced. Um, and then after listening to your presentations and just the way that you describe it in terms of the, the, the Apple example, I think is phenomenal. Um, yeah, I mean, it's obvious. It's very obvious where this is going. Um, and and look, I, I maybe this sounds very privileged, but I don't care paying a hundred dollars. <laughs> I don't care paying a hundred dollars for my fee if if you know I get you know the benefits of Bitcoin. But at the same time, I also acknowledge the fact that that's a very very privileged stance, and I think people have been they, their their experience of Bitcoin for all these years has been, you know, if they really wanted to, they can you know. Uh, buy a coffee with it. Um, and I think, you know, as we're seeing this institutional adoption, you, they're starting to release all these commercials. Wall Street is <laughs> investing money in the marketing of Bitcoin, which is as nuts. Um, yeah. You know, it, there could be a reality where you're just priced out fee wise. Um, and you should definitely be consolidating, ladies and gentlemen. I got to say that too. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 I, I, I could see a lot of people react negatively to that in a way. They, they could say that, you know, Bitcoin is money for the privileged elite in a way. And, and what would your response to that be? You know, you, you wish there was a, a, a Bitcoin PR group, right? So that we could work on <laughs> on creating the right messaging and the positioning. But I think the answer is, the Bitcoin ecosystem, which includes all the layer two stuff, is set up to do that. But but layer one, I, I you said it earlier, that real estate is the most precious real estate in the world. It's not real estate that's meant for coffee transactions. And it's also not meant for people DCing, you know, $2 a Bitcoin a day. It, it, it is the world's most secure and trusted digital network. And 
that comes with a price. I, I mentioned earlier subsidy, right? So I think most people are probably familiar with the subsidy, the block subsidy, which is currently six and a quarter, and we're going to celebrate the having in four months or so. And I think a lot of people think about that as a subsidy for the miners. But that's a misnomer. And in my opinion, that the subsidy was a subsidy for all of us. It was for all of us as users of Bitcoin and 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 uh, champions of Bitcoin to use this period of time where fees were very low to get comfortable with the base layer to um, be in a position where we can evangelize it, but all and also time for these layer twos to develop. So. The subsidy is essentially over. Um, the so another way as I like to say it is the free ride is basically over now. We've had 15 years to interact with the base layer whenever we want for essentially free, and that's a phenomenal, um, you know, that's a phenomenal privilege. And now we're at a point where you have to pay. It's like anything else. You know, you you may sign up for a new gym, like we're starting the new year, right? And so people will go sign up at a new gym and they get the first two months at 75% off and then you have to pay the full price, right? So um, those are, Bitcoin is the same way, I think. And, and so we have to look at that. I think it is hard. It's been there <laughs> and available for everybody <laughs> for 15 years. <clears throat> There's a certain reality that people who are late to the game um, will, will get less of the benefit of the subsidy because they're getting in late. It's just, it's just the way it is. Now, you've, what you feel badly for, like my, my wife Lola, we mentioned, she's from the Philippines. Philippines, a country of about 110 million people, 50% of the population lives on $2 a day or less. There's several other countries in the world like that. It's ideal for Bitcoin. They're not adopting it at the rate that we'd like to see. In fact, Lola and I are hoping to get there this spring and we'll do some evangelizing and education um, in the Philippines while we're there. But, but um, you know, that's, that's the part that bothers me. But I, I don't have an answer for it. I, the, there's no good answer for it other than you hope they get on fast and that that, as you said before, that lightning gets there and comes up the curve quicker because they're going to really need it. Yeah, 100 uh, percent. And and it, and that window is closing fast, um, you know, and, and I we've had I, the way that you said it, it was, it was beautiful. We've had 15 years. Right. Uh, not only cheap fees, but 15 years to front run Wall Street. Um, you know, we had a bunch of time to front run, you know, the first billionaire going absolutely bananas and just, you know, buying it. Um, but that, that window is slowly closing. Um, you know, and I think there's been so many signs all over the place to, to kind of point, point to this. Um, you know, and, and I, I agree, I think 2024, not only fee wise, but also, you know, you're no longer front running Wall Street. Wall Street's right, right there yep. with you, right? Yep. Um, yep. and they're gonna want to get a good deal, right? 
Um, so anyways, I, I, we have about seven minutes left, Bob, and there's been something really, really interesting that you've, that you've, uh, said in the past. And it's this scenario, it's this potential scenario in a world of only captured elephants and uh, a type of attack that governments could do that could put governments, nation states, you know, whatever you want to call it, that could potentially they could potentially do to the Bitcoin network where they control a massive amount of the hash rate and then they shut it off all at once. So could you uh, describe that uh, hypothetical attack uh, just so that, you know, if you're looking to get into mining, uh, you know, you could be a rabbit right now with an S9. They're 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 pretty cheap these days. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what are your what what are your thoughts, Bob? Yeah. Uh, so this is this is something I call Satoshi's heel. Uh, I want to start by stating that it is number one a situation that we can hundred percent avoid simply by having ecosystem diversity, and number two, even with that, in any short term window, it's a low probability, but Put your thousand year hat on and say, well, if this scenario I'm going to talk about has, let's say, a 0.1% chance in any given year, then over a thousand year period, it's highly likely to happen, right? So um, now the scenario is this. Imagine a world that's in the future. 99% of all the hash rate is with captured elephants. And it's, let's say it's even been that way for several years. The rabbits and the horses have been largely dead for a long time. So in other words, there's not hash rates sitting on the sidelines. There's not S9s collecting dust in somebody's garage. We're past that point. At the point of a difficulty adjustment, the uh, the governments of the world at that point maybe there's only only even one world government in other words throw away your thoughts about the us and china and all that sort of stuff they may not even exist a coordinated effort shuts down all of the captive elephants simultaneously and not just simultaneously but in a calculated manner they do it right at the point of a difficulty adjustment so for those of you not familiar with it, Bitcoin adjusts its difficulty every 2016 blocks. And it resets the difficulty with the expectation of trying to keep the mean or average block time right around the 10 minute mark. So however, it's a backward looking system. So if what happens is right at the point of a difficulty adjustment happening, the algorithm thinks there's all this hash rate there, but now suddenly it disappears. And now only 1% of the hash rate remains. The, the, the stealth rabbits kind of scattered out all over the world. What that would mean was block times, instead of being 10 minutes, would now be around 18 hours. And additionally, there's really no way outside of a hard fork of accelerating the 2016 blocks so meaning we have to slug through 18 hour block times for 2016 blocks if you do that math you'll find it's just short of four years so what would happen in that case is that bitcoin would essentially ground to halt it would it would uh, no, be no base layer interactions 
after a short period of time, even the layer twos would would um, be impacted. Because, for instance, like in Lightning, you couldn't open new channels, you couldn't close channels, you couldn't splice channels, you couldn't do any of that sort of stuff. It would just absolutely halt. Now, all the Bitcoin was there. Nobody's Bitcoin was stolen. The governments wouldn't wouldn't. Nobody could really say, well, you you stole my Bitcoin, you seized my Bitcoin. You just shut it off and and proved that the integrity of the monetary system was now impaired. No 51% attack, nothing like that. Now, let's say we slug through the whole thing. Finally get to the four-year point and feel like, okay, well, maybe now we can get on with things. So the difficulty adjustment takes place. Um, there is a, a piece in the code that says we can only make at most a 4x change in the difficulty, but it would it would go down by 75% then. Block times would go, I'm going off the top of my head, maybe they would get down into the 30 or 40 minute range or something on that order now. So reasonable and stuff would start to process. But what I would do if I were the governments is I would then instantly turn all the 99% hash rate back on. And I would fly through that difficulty adjustment, it would take about two days. And then I would immediately turn it all off again. So what it would mean that we would we would we would go through a roughly eight, eight year period with something on the order of 4100 blocks being processed or something on that order. And that's, that's it. Oh, no, excuse me, it'd be a little over 6000 blocks processed. But um, you know, I, I believe that would be the way to impair the network. And again, I, I said this is low probability. Um, some people have come at me and been critical, like that'll never happen, you know, um, and, and this will happen instead and that'll happen instead. And I said, well, I, I think people miss the point that, you know, we have to be vigilant and that people that discount these kind of scenarios are people that probably are not security experts. They're probably not network designers. They're probably not people that um, understand the risks. And so if something is a 0.1% risk in any year, which is what I would put, I would put this scenario at, um, that is an existential risk if you're trying to build thousand year money. Essentially, it would be attacking the very legitimacy of the network, right? It would be attacking, it would be attacking the, uh, it's, it's what you said, the, your Bitcoin would be safe, uh, but you're looking at it and be like, could this really be the world's financial system, you know, uh, because it's at a halt right now. Uh, so it'd be attacking, you know, its reputation as a, and a reputational attack is, is they're, they're really, really rough. Cause can't really defend yourself you can't as bitcoin's the best money in the world it's like but it's not it's not moving right, right. so right. yeah so and the final question bob so you said <laughs> that it, it's easy to protect against this uh what would you recommend what would you say how does the bitcoin network protect itself from this type of potential future scenario well there are several things I think each individual can do. The first thing is if you have even a remote capability of operating a mining system yourself at even borderline profitability or maybe a slight loss, consider doing it for the network. 
um, we need the rabbits. If you can support at a little larger financial thing, if you can support whether it's a barefoot project or some other company out there trying to do something similar, um, uh, you know, God bless you and do that. I would also say a lot of people invest in the stocks of the companies building the captive elephants. So ask yourself if you really support what they're doing. Um, Nico and I offline uh, before the, the meeting started, um, we were talking at a personal level and, you know, I said, you know, for me, my family comes first, my family and my close friends come first. Um, they're the most important thing in my life. Um, I'll make every decision in my life to make sure that harm doesn't come to them. The second most important thing in my life is, is Bitcoin. And so if my actions at a personal level or a business level do something that jeopardizes Bitcoin, I don't do it. And, and so if you're really a Bitcoiner, if you really believe, you know, I guess consider where is Bitcoin in your personal hierarchy when you make your decisions? Because for instance, I'm not telling you to buy stock or not buy stock in a public mining company, but if you do, you are giving them power to build more captive elephants and you're supporting that behavior set so um you know make your own decision um it's it's fine but but you know be careful and i would say you know very much watch these metrics of how much hash rate we really think is in the hands of the big guys yeah, 100%. And I just want to end it with this comment. Uh, the recycling guy says, it's our network to safeguard and pass down well, said Burnett. Um, so, yes, I think it's very, very fitting. Bob, always an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. And I'll be seeing you in Naples in a couple weeks in person. Yes. So looking forward to that. Yes. All right. Thank you, Nico. Thanks, Bob. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed, enjoyed another episode of Simply Bitcoin IRL. We'll be back with the live show tomorrow, 12.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for another episode of Simply Bitcoin Live. But until then, peace out, everybody. Have a great evening.